Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello, Judge, you there? Yes, sir, I'm here. Right. Excellent. We all be on the on one and only the Honorable Judge Joe Brown to offer his wise and experienced view on what's going on in the world today. How are you doing tonight, sir? Fine, young man. I hope I'm doing as well as I think you're doing. <laughs> I'm good. I'm still standing. Yeah, but I just, I just want to get your thoughts about a couple of things. I know people have been asking me, uh, what did the judge think about what happened last uh, month with Bill Cosby, the verdict? Because I know you've been, you know, very vocal about the due process and the other things that's going on with that case. And uh, now that they say he's guilty and he's facing, I guess, possibly a, a death sentence in jail. No, I it's mean, not. Well, it's not the most serious criminal offense. But okay. Yeah. There is a trend that has been going on for the last 35-some years that is driven by the mistaken belief that women are dumped on in the system and they don't get the right breaks, so they need some added into the law on evidence. In other words, there was a movement where you could not get into the woman's past character. There's a movement afoot now to give them different advantages in establishing the case. Now, this was not a rape case. This was an assault case, sexual battery, but not rape. Mm-hmm. And saw that with this media circus that went on around the thing, activity was going on in the courtroom. People who claimed to be victims were hollering at the in court in front of the jury and that should never have been permitted next thing there's something inherently unfair about this which is that when this woman tried to bring the charges the DA's office or the DA at that time exercised his discretion and said no we're not bringing that well she decides to file civilly so when the civil action is filed they start asking for discovery, so Cosby's side raises the claim of Fifth Amendment protection. Fifth Amendment of the Constitution says that the state cannot compel a defendant to give evidence against himself. All right? Mm-hmm. So that's almost absolute. But in a civil case, well, that's, yeah, that's absolute. In a civil case, a defendant can be required to give evidence against himself. So what the judge ruled was based on the fact that the DA's office had declined to prosecute. Bill Cosby did not have the Fifth Amendment protection and ordered him to reply, which he did. Now, after he replies, and this thing is supposed to be sealed, 
then a new DA goes back in and says, well, he gave a statement. But yes, that statement was on the orders of a court based upon its understanding that there would be no prosecutorial liability. So rather than striking that statement wherein he admits that he had sex with the woman and gave her drugs, which, by the way, what he described were uppers that would get somebody bouncing along like the Energizer Bunny, not I was asleep and woke up with him on me, which was something interesting, but they admitted that. Now, all right, at that point you have something that's not rape, it's battery. Unpermitted sexual touching is basically what it is, not forcible rape, not sexual penetration. And you have allowed into the record, probably incorrectly, this admission during the course of the civil proceedings. Yes, I had sex with her. Well, I had relations with her, sex with her. Yes, I gave her some drugs which were the following. Instead of leaving at that, you allow a witness to come in from some events that are over half a century ago. And you let somebody come in with adventures more than 35 years ago. Now, what is the purpose of this? You see, there, this is proof of other crimes, and you are only permitted to bring in proof of other crimes when it is necessary to establish some necessary element of the case, such as identity. In other words, this person got uh, robbed, and he says the person that robbed him got out of uh, red and white Chevrolet, and he can't ID the man's face because he was under a ski mask, but four hours before, somebody got robbed by a person that had on the same clothes with no ski mask on who can make, it a, who can make an identification of that. See, that other crime is in for the purpose of identification. But here, you had no reason other than to buttress the person's credibility. Now, ordinarily, you could not attack a woman's character when it was a sexual offense. But now, since this isn't rape, that could come in. But what happened during the first trial, which was showing you how unfair this is, because this woman said she did not know the witness that heard her say she was going to set this celebrity up, they didn't allow her to testify until she wound up bringing until the defense wound up bringing in several witnesses to say, yeah, these two know each other. But you see, that's bending over backwards for the woman. Now, in my experience, I've been doing this for 45 years. Mm-hmm. And if you are a black man and you are accused of raping anybody, particularly, and this is interesting, it depends upon the complexion too. If the black man is accused of raping or having some inappropriate sexual contact, the lighter the victim, the more biased the case is going to be against him. I think of one in particular. This man was jogging down the street, and this woman is driving by, and she 
slams on the brakes in their car, starts screaming, flags down some police, and says, that's him, that's him, that's the man that raped me. Now, he gets brought in, kept without bond, brought to trial, goes to trial. His lawyer wasn't that good, but I wound up having to dismiss the case. Why? Because the evidence came in that at the time the rape was supposed to have occurred, some years before, the man was driving an M60A1 tank over in Germany in the full of the gap. Oh, you know, like, couldn't have been him. He wasn't even in the United States. See, this kind of thing goes on, and everybody wants to bend over backwards. We had a thing some years ago where there were accusations that some children had been molested in daycare. Mm-hmm. And they wound up 246 complaints, and then it turns out in the end, Everything had to be dropped after all of this hysteria because one of the assistant DAs had been taped while coaching the victims over and over again after they said nothing happened and kept trying to break them down until they'd say, well, okay, if that's what you want, yeah, something happened. And then again, what happened? What happened? Well, like I said, something happened. See, that kind of thing is wrong. And in America... You know, there's this thing about what do you do when you want to get a black man down, accuse him of having uh, illicit sexual conduct with a woman. That's always what they throw out. And in this case, you have to take it in context of 1992, Bill Cosby put in a bid to buy NBC. And then he put in another bid and they flat turned him down. So he was getting ready to try and acquire another network, and he had made all of the financial arrangements, and it looked like we were going to have a black man with an independent major network. That was not about to happen. And then in terms of Hollywood, I say this. Personally, I've never done anything like that to a woman, but I can remember that when I first started my show, those bozos out there were trying to set me up. And having done what I did for my career, other than what caused me had done for his, I understood what was going on, so I shied away from it, and I set some traps, and I caught them dead red-handed trying to do a setup. So that ended that, and they got so freaked out by what I had done to show what they were up to that they backed off of it for a minute, but I always had to be leery. And I got married. That's one reason Hollywood types get married so much is to protect themselves from that. And right now, you know, there's too much of a woman that's bisexual having some kind of sexual contact with a straight man and then coming back after she's thought about it and had remorse and saying, uh-uh, no how, no way. Uh, that was wrong. I got taken advantage of even if they went along with it. Part of this movement is caught up in some new trends around the country where the feminists are trying to get the definition of rape changed from forcible rape to something known as rape by seduction. In other words, if you took the woman out and you wind her, dined her, she had a good night, she wasn't drunk, she was cool, and you two petted and caressed and hit the sheets, then that's supposed to be rape by seduction because what you're supposed to have done, according to this faction, is you are supposed to have 
before you went out on a date. Oh, by the way, so when we go out on a date, I'm going to try and be real nice. Do you mind if we have sex when we get through? Now, then you're supposed to say, before you put it in, are we hack is it okay to have sex? And then in the middle, is it okay to keep going? And then in the end, is it okay to finish? And then they want to add another caveat for college students. So if a female college student says, okay, all of this was voluntary, but now I feel remorse about it, I shouldn't have done it, then she should be allowed to have the boy expelled from the college so she doesn't have to look at him anymore. See, some of this stuff is getting out of hand. And it's kind of inconsistent because this same group is saying women are in all ways always equal to men in all ways. But yet they turn right around in a different breath, second breath, say, well, but on the other hand, women are so vulnerable to men exploiting them. Well, how can you be exploited if you're an equal? Does make sense. But rape is a horrible crime, really a horrible crime. I will say that the system gets jaded because so many times we have these false reports. I can remember that a sex crime detective called me in with my client to be interviewed, the client to be interviewed. He knew I represented him. And the woman had picked him out of multiple lineups. I'm sure that's him. There's no question about it. Uh, photo lineup. So he wanted me to bring him down and surrender. Well, when we got there, there was a big commotion going on, so he asked us to please be patient, and he would be with us shortly. So one detective picks up the phone ringing on his desk, and he says, oh, oh, and says, Al, you better come get this. Al, that's not his real name. He says, well, I'm busy. He says, Al, you better take this. So Al picks up the phone. Yes, what is it? Oh, really? When? 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 How long ago? So he walks over to us and says, you know what? You can tell your client to go on home. Sorry we bothered to waste his time. So what happens? So that was the would-be victim. So he just ran out of the building five minutes ago after raping her for a half hour and tied her up in the women's bathroom. Then <laughs> you've been sitting here for an hour and a half. You see, these things happen. Or I can remember a rape case where this was supposed to occur in the back seat of a convertible with the top down in a park. Well, the would-be victim testified that she and the guy became worried about her getting pregnant. Uh, yeah, this is a rape. And she says, excuse me. So she climbs up without opening the door out of the back seat of the car. After going in her purse, which is laying on the front seat of the car, getting mm-hmm. her car keys, going to her car, opening the door of her car, which is about 25 yards away, going in the glove compartment, getting out a rubber, and coming back, climbing into the back seat of the convertible, taking the rubber out of the package, putting it on the defendant, and getting back on top of him so he can finish the rape. See, that's the kind of thing that goes on sometimes. But she was swearing before God that this was true. So one of the problems with all of this, when you start going back 40, 30, 35 years, 
most people around under 55 or under 60 don't understand what the sexual revolution was about. During the sexual revolution, when women first got birth control, what would happen is you could be at a party or a dance or something, and you could get a woman to agree to have sex with you as readily as you could get her to agree to have a dance with you at a house party, and you were already acquainted with her. I mean, these things, it used to be, the the phrase was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. In other words, people went to these parties to get laid, get drugs, do drink, and we would have women coming in some of these parties and then they come over and over again and come in see-through, no bra on, and soon be topless, which wasn't unusual, you have to understand. Like at UCLA, 10 o'clock in Myhar Park, we called it every Tuesday, 10 a.m., the women would come down there in the spring and take their tops off, take their bras off, throw them in a 55-gallon drum and burn them and then walk around the rest of the day with the tops off bare-chested because the guys did it. So, you know, that was not unusual. So they'd walk into a party, they'd be topless in 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and understand they might have been doing this on the college campus three days before with thousands of people looking at them. And soon they'd be stripped down and they'd do the drugs and then they'd start giving head jobs to people, getting laid and everything else, and have four or five sexual encounters before they left the party and then come right back to the same type of set the next week. That was a sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. So you've got a situation where drugs were sought to go along with that by some, and that was ordinary business. So now when you bring somebody in 48 years after the fact, when that was right in the hot end of all of this, and then she starts talking about, what to somebody who was there when it happened, you know, that type of thing. You know, well, all you're doing is describing an ordinary situation. But now you haven't said anything about it, so you come forward. And then you've got a Gloria Allred who is trying to hustle this up, up, her and her daughter, and they've got a program going. And, like, I sent you a tweet situation where this one woman who was an editor for Teen Vogue, Mm-hmm. She admitted that she didn't care whether somebody was lying or not or whether it ruined a man's career if it helped out the cause, even if it wasn't true. Yep. So you've got a lot of those, the ends justifies the means by any means necessary, and men are low down, so take them down. They've probably done something wrong to somebody else. So now you've got the really weird picture of one part of the culture is getting women to spend the huge amount of money that they spend beautifying and sexifying. I mean, you've got another big group of women who sit there and want to get upset and turn a man in because he responds like the other half is trying to get him to respond. I also remember that um, Whoopi Goldberg interviewed one woman, a black former model. I won't mention her name, but she said Cosby had me in his room, hotel room. She came up there, 
when he had got to the door, all he had on was his robe, and then she talked about he put something in her drink, and she was instantly woozy, and then everybody else was going, what kind of drug did he give you that had that kind of instant effect on what she was describing wouldn't have? But then she says, uh, when Whoopi asked her, did he rape you? She said, no, he called the cab, escorted me downstairs on the elevator, and put me in a cab and paid the cab driver to take me home. Well, how does that fit in with the purview of you got done wrong? You know, remember the storyline? You get drugs and you wake up and it's not your fault. Right. And then you can remember what happened with Kobe Bryant. Remember when he got charged up in Colorado for that aggravated rape and then it turned out that girl had had sex with five and six other people that same night? Yes, I remember that. I can never forget that. And then right after the first Cosby trial, that woman talked about she had been intoxicated and this man took advantage of her on The Bachelor or Bachelorette, mm-hmm. whatever. Oh, yeah. Yes, and sir. It turned out they had a video of all of what she was doing, and she's the one that got naked. She had some drinks, but she wasn't drunk. You could see she wasn't staggering. She's the one got in the water, went underwater, and gave him obviously a head job, then escorted him up and took his shorts off, laid him down on a, a lounger, got on top of him and had very active sex with him. And apparently what happened is her boyfriend found out about it. So uh, what happened? She got taken advantage of and when the videotape was reviewed, no way, no how. But but this is how black men have gotten lynched in, in generations past, though. I mean, yeah. we just had the lynching memorial open down. I mean, why do people have a hard time understanding about the Scottsboro boys and when black men have been falsely accused of raping white women when it's been consensual? And then, see, there's another thing, too. I know this from being a lawyer, mm-hmm. a defense lawyer. Sometimes you would get situations where you'd get a client come to you and say, I want you to talk to this girl, my niece. Well, what's the matter? Well, yeah, he was no good. He was trying to tell me what to do. He's not my daddy. Who are you talking about? She accused this man that my sister was dating or raping her. She says now it's a lie. She was mad at him because he was trying to tell her she couldn't go out and had to do her homework. Yeah. So, I think out of fundamental fairness, since a black man getting charged with this offense is about the worst he could get charged with, and the fact that in actuality, contrary to the belief, if there is a female victim, there is an undue amount of sympathy given to the female victim that's not given where it's a neutral gender-wise situation. And to give them an extra set of uh, tools in there to convict is unfair. If anything, there needs to be more protection when it's a swearing match, and let's let them go head up credibility-wise. The jury can look at somebody fudging, looking down, telling a tale, or whatever it may be. You can test the testimony by consistency or inconsistency. And see, there is a thing I've noticed over the years in a trial, you know, when you've got rights on a jury, they presume that the defendant did something wrong unless the evidence is so rank that it almost proves he didn't. Mm-hmm. There was a trial of Harold Ford Sr. 
down here in federal court. Odell Horton was the judge. And on the first trial, there was a mistrial, and he wound up allowing the government to bring in jurors from outside of the district. Why? Because something was going on. It was obviously some chicanery. Why? Because people in the audience were saying it was going to be a two for guilty, ten for not guilty. How did they know that? I said, and then look. There were two white people on the jury, and you could look at their faces, and you could tell what they were thinking, and you could look at the eight, ten other black folk, uh, and they were going, no way. And the two white folk were going, he did it, I know he did it, and everybody was saying it's going to be a 10-2 verdict. Of course, nobody had access to the jury room. You could look and see. But Odell Horton was a naive person, always has been his whole life. With due respect, he wasn't a bad guy. He was just kind of nerdy. Right. So he was a black judge, by the way. But, mm-hmm. you know, he just went along with it. And well, go ahead. No, I was saying, Judge, I mean, I was thinking about what you're saying. I was thinking about what Dr. Camille Coffey said in a statement last week about uh, the court being a lynch mob mentality. Yeah. Can you get can you get fair a fair hearing in a, in a climate like this where the media as poised in the jury, and the judge seemed to have lost control of the courtroom. Can you get a uh, fair trial? control of the courtroom. Okay. That, that's what part of the problem was. I've been there, seen that, done that for years as either a trial lawyer or judge, and I've seen how a courtroom, I never let one get out of control, but I mm-hmm. have seen it. Now, that thing crap they did on that show, I used to get on them all the time because I could hear them. They were trying to go, don't eat whatever the judge does, says, don't keep them. I'd say, look, I'll have you fired if you do that again. Mm-hmm. Now, Judy, they would tell everybody to be quiet and listen, but I'm black, so you got all of these lesbians out there trying to coach all of these people to come in and clown in front of me. But see, mm-hmm. I just said, okay, it's arbitration. I'll play it a different way. It's just what they do. Now, let's see. I'm going to give you a case. It's a U.S. Supreme Court case, Mm -hmm. and it says that the trial judge has an obligation to protect the defendant from the consequences of undue public attention to uh, the case, and they reversed it. It's interesting. Let me find this. Excuse me, I was looking okay. at it, so. mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure I got the citation right. But, you know, we'll see what happens on the appeal. Yeah, but I mean, like, the fact that the uh, juror was tampered with or was tainted, uh, a juror that should have been dismissed, and the fact that the media t- kept on talking about, basically they were pro-guilty uh, for Cosby. The media really was, like, you know, 
you look at social media as well, too, the people response. It's like a, such a lynch mob mentality. And a lynch mob never been courageous or brave in this country. Never in this country. What, history. Yeah, but, see, but see, here's the other thing. The media kept saying it wasn't a lock-up jury either, see. And the media kept mm-hmm. saying uh, hashtag Me Too is going to make a difference. It's a new public opinion, you know, a new atmosphere. That is not supposed to have a damn thing to do with the case because justice is supposed to be what? Blind and deaf. Right. She can't hear and she can't see. Yes, sir. At least she can't hear the tone. So what difference does what the public think out there have to do with the justice? That's lynch mob. And by the way, the case is Shepard B. Maxwell. If anybody wants to look it up, they can probably Google it. Shepard, S-H-E-P-P-A-R-D, B. Maxwell, M-A-X-W-E-L-L. The citation is 384 U.S. 333 from 1966. That is volume 384 U.S. Digest at page 333 from 1966, and they just said that a U.S. Supreme Court case that examined the rights of freedom of the press as outlined in the First Amendment when weighed against the defendant's right to a fair trial as required by the Sixth Amendment and the Due Process Clause of the Fourteenth Amendment. In particular, the court sought to determine whether or not the defendant was denied a fair trial for the second-degree murder of his wife, of which he was convicted, because of the trial judge's failure to protect Shepard sufficiently from the massive, pervasive, and prejudicial publicity that attended to his prosecution, we reverse. So that's the case that was inspired by the fugitive, uh, the TV show? No. No, uh uh-uh. This was one where it was a hometown situation. He got accused of it early on. And what went on, no, that's not that TV show. What went on is a lot of negative publicity. He did it, get him, all the rest of this kind of stuff. Okay. And people were screaming and hollering around and about the courtroom. The judge didn't protect him. Wow. So it's a chance that Cosby, a ruling could be reversed in appeal? Yeah, yeah, Shepard. Mm, okay. Shepard maintained his innocence of the crime, alleging that for purposes of appeal that the trial judge failed to protect him from the massive, widespread, and prejudicial publicity that attended his prosecution. What's that sound like? Yeah, so it's, uh, uh, something you need to be thrown out with the garbage. <laughs> It sounds like a lich mob. And I want to ask you about the Cosby thing, but I think it's strange with Bill Cosby that he didn't really start getting in trouble until like the last 20 years. We've been trying to, uh, like you said, buy the networks and also with the death of his son. Do you think anything uh, conspiratorial went on with the death of his son? No. Well, what's happening in the background is that you have had for a long time in this Hollywood thing people of both sexes who really don't have the talent they think they do. Mm-hmm. So they want to jumpstart their career by sleeping with somebody they think has influence. And then the fact that they really don't have talent and probably don't true well either, 
doesn't get them where they want to go, and then they start feeling remorse, especially if as so prevalent in sports and entertainment, you have bisexual women who start drifting more to the lesbian rather than the bisexual side as they get older. Look at the alleged victim. She didn't hold anything like she did when she got with Cosby. Mm-hmm. She looked like a man. It's like how it was thrown to me. I mean, it's like how it was thrown with Sideshow Bob from uh, The Simpsons. That's yeah. Not, <laughs> he's and not attractive. If you look at the rest of them, too, I can bet you that if you looked at their personal situations, oh, they have a right to do it. They have yeah, a right, right to do it. You can see that they turned more lesbian than bisexual as they got older, and they started having remorse, and somebody gave them a chance to get back. Because part of this dynamic is I was victimized. Men are no mm-hmm. good. I hate them. And half the time, the reason they can't get a relationship going, and part of the problem with the relationship is if you had an independent, neutral, detached third party who watched them, they'd say, no damn wonder nobody can get along with them. But I just really, really get disturbed from having been a trial lawyer and a trial judge to see when there is no proper control over what happens in a trial based on outside pressure. That becomes a lynch mob. Mm -hmm. Hard being a judge, much harder than people think. And so you get these people who are on the bench and they want it, they need a job, but they have to get reelected a lot of times. So they don't want to disturb anybody by going against what they perceive to be the public opinion. Now, in Memphis, right here in Shelby County, you've got 10 divisions of criminal court to try everything from shoplifting to first-degree murders. And out of those 10 judges, you've got only one of them right now, uh, Glenn Wright, who's what I would call a good, solid judge that would make sure all of the I's are dotted and T's across. He's got one other, but that one's too scared to go against the the system. And that one gets bamboozled a lot. And the other black one we've got down there, he just goes right along with the flow because he's part of it. Mm. And I will say this, for political purposes, for judgeships, you need to stay away from career prosecutors. Sometimes there are exceptions, but for the most part, it's a case of power corrupting Absolute power corrupting absolute. Too much power corrupting too much. And the DA's office has a lot of power. They're used to trying bullet to bullying situations. And when they get in that long habit of that, you know, that becomes not good. I like to see somebody, even if they have been a prosecutor, which is a good way to learn how to work around in a courtroom. But I want to see you having done something else in your career. Now, I look, for example, at Senator Camilla Harris from California. She was a career prosecutor in Los Angeles, California, for the L.A. County DA's office. And from what I hear, she was halfway cute at one time. And she got all of these judges who would protect her from the consequences of her trying to act a bitch in the courtroom. And they would protect her when somebody would jump back. When she got to be California Attorney General, what happens? 
all of the fat cats go, you know, clean. Nobody's bothering them. They contribute to her election coffers, and she's elected to be a U.S. senator. Now she wants to run for president. But I don't think you need to let anybody who's been a career prosecutor in the office of president of the United States. That's bad news. They don't understand the little people. They learn all of the tricks of dealing with little people in terms of what to do to get over on a jury, which basically represents a constituency, a small constituency, but Mm. they do not have empathy with the big situation that's being presented. But I just say that. Now, that's my take on it. If he's guilty, he's guilty. But you see, there's one thing about American law. There are three concepts, guilty, not guilty, and innocent. Innocent and not guilty are not the same thing. Not mm-hmm. guilty is what happens when you keep the state from getting out of control. For example, you go to Super Bowl parties. Mm-hmm. How often do they have a, a pool there about what the score is going to be by halftime or whatever? Everybody mm-hmm. puts in a few bucks often, right? Right, that's it. That's a crime. But you know how you can get away with it? Yeah. If they busted you, you wouldn't be innocent of it, but you'd be not guilty because they don't want to have, give the state the power to bust off in somebody's private home to break that up or just snatch people when they come in with no warrant, no probable cause, and try to bust somebody. You don't want that happening. Mm-hmm. The person is not guilty even though they're not innocent. Another thing, for example, I can remember been 38 years ago, I had a double trial. I had two co-defendants, a man and a woman. What happened was is that the guy had filed for divorce against his wife for three years. He had had his house before he got married, and the judge allowed him to keep it. The estranged wife was supposed to surrender her keys. She didn't. She kept the copy. So one day she snuck by the house during lunch hour and didn't see the defendant's car out front. Well, his car wasn't out front because he and his new girlfriend had driven over there in her car. Mm-hmm. So the estranged wife takes the key, goes in the front door, and there's her estranged husband down on the floor with his new girlfriend, and they're going down on each other. Well, she quietly tiptoes out of the house, He's a cop coming down the street, flags him down. He gets out. She lets him in, and the cop arrests her estranged husband and his new girlfriend for unnatural sex acts. Right? They were going down on each other. The penalty at the time, three to 15 years in the penitentiary. Mm. So the jury's going, what? Said, yes, that is indeed a crime. Said, but I thought everybody, don't confess. It's a felony, three to 15 years in state penitentiary. That's wow. what we're here for? I believe the judge is going to confirm that. Now, that was what they were there for. But you see, in that case, what's the problem? That's somebody else's standard about something that a lot of people do. Now, mm-hmm. what has happened with this mob rule thing in the Cosby case is that the standard at the time this happened was not what it seems to be now in terms of ordinary behavior. 
But it's like, okay, 1980, this was legal, and then all of a sudden, 82, somebody came off in there and busted because they're down on the floor going down on each other. Well, it's now looked at as some kind of perversion. You see, if you switch it back, you kind of get what's going on with the Cosby trial. Now, rape is wrong. It's dead wrong. But usually, you know, we're not having all that stuff going on. And then the other thing is, too, you know, it's what constitutes bad act now. Uh, out in Hollywood, the general rule is for straight guys, man, don't even look at these babies. If you look cross-eyed at them, they'll file a complaint with human resources. Well, what did you do? He looked at me as I was walking down the hallway. Well, yeah, you only had all your mini dress was only three inches long. You see that thing I sent you a day before yesterday about an African college posted yeah. on the library? Yes, uh, sir. Dress appropriately. You're distracting the boys, and some of the dumb girls are saying, well, that's not our problem. They just shouldn't look at our legs when we come in or whatever dress like we want to. They're supposed to be there to study. Well, you are too, not to walk in and look sexually attractive. Now, see, that's another bloody thing. You have a right if you're a woman to dress any way you want to as long as you're not doing breaking somebody's code about indecent exposure in the wrong place, okay? Mm -hmm. But you have a right to have money in your pocket. But if you were in the wrong neighborhood and you pulled out a big bankroll and flashed it, you may have been legal, but what's going to happen to you? You're going to get your full self hijacked. Mm -hmm. So the woman's got every right to dress like she wants to. That's her legal right. But if she's walking in the wrong neighborhood, wrong place, dressed the wrong way, she might get hijacked and her stuff taken. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, she got done wrong, just like the guy got done wrong if he got robbed of his bankroll. But you don't flash your bankroll. You don't flash the flesh. I mean, that's just good sense. Yes, sir. But, you know, we, we have a lot of adjustments to make. But I, I just take this whole Cosby thing in context and when all this stuff happened, uh, you know, worldview was not what it was. What it was then was not what it is now. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't there. I just thought the trial was out of the judge's hands. Uh, it circumstances got out of his control. That's what I saw. Yeah, what about the fact that it should never took place the same as he stood out of court in 2005 and gave a, a, a testimony that was not supposed to be used against him and that he settled with the lady for almost $4 million. And then, well, like, he... that's, an, that, that's an object of appeal. Okay. See, that, that's what I'm talking about. So if she, if he tried to assert the Fifth Amendment Mm-hmm. When you are a civil defendant and you want to assert the Fifth Amendment, you have to prove to the trial judge that you might suffer some criminal liability. If you don't, then the judge can hold it against you. And in the civil case, if you don't testify, see, the plaintiff can call the defendant for his witness, for her witness. So the judge ruled that you had to testify because it's civil. There is no criminal liability. Then to come back in and allow that sealed testimony to be used in a criminal proceeding, 
I think is way wrong. But the prosecutor got in into office by saying that he will, like, what prosecute Cosby? That's what his well, campaign promised. I didn't go back that far to look into it, but bottom line is that even makes it worse. In other mm-hmm. words, for ulterior, see, for personal purposes, he goes around and he has his position uh, being what it is. Uh, well, he takes his position being what it is to violate the Fifth Amendment rights Cosby has by saying, all right, my predecessor, whom I actually should be bound by, Mm-hmm. Admitted the office to non-prosecution, which caused the judge to rely upon that representation, which caused him to issue the order that caused he had to respond. Now, after he's done that, then I step back in and say, okay, I promise I'm going to prosecute him. See, that's not fundamental fairness. That's not due process of law. Now, that, I just found an interest when you were saying I was thinking about what if uh, Bill Cosby was a Pittsburgh Steeler? What if he was Ben Roethlisberger, who's been accused of raping women on several occasions, the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers? And I look at what happened in Philadelphia with the rapper. Are you familiar with Meek Mill, the rapper? Yes. With the judge? I mean, what do you think about that case in particular? This is History. the one where they looked at his conviction and they're setting it aside. Yeah, I believe so. The rapper, the judge yeah, was a black female. Yeah. That's another thing, cause celebrity. Mm-hmm. I that's what happens when you go just let the rush of the moment, the passion of the hour control what happens. Like that thing on Emmett Till, they've had interviews with that woman. She's 82 years old now. Her conscience is bothering her now that she's got near to the grave. And she said, that boy, I didn't do that. That's a lie. I was wrong. I had no idea they were going to do that to that boy. But she lied to me because she was there that night. She picked him out. I mean, she identified him. But see, the other thing, too, she now claims that her husband was a spousal abuser, and she wound up leaving him after all this was over, but she was afraid of him. See, I heard other stories. I know it was a a white dude from Indiola, a former Klansman, who was friends with her family. The white folks back in Indiola said that she was known for having affairs with black men. Well, it may be, but I read the report in Post Magazine. See, after they killed the boy, then they got found not guilty. Then they gave right. the Post Magazine for money. I, I, look, well, yeah. I also mm-hmm. met Emmett Till's mother several times and discussed these matters at some length. But see, there is a danger when you let mob rule get into in place. And I don't care what these foolish women say about it's a new day, a new thing, and hashtag me too is going to alter the outcome. See, that's bad because if you set that as a precedent, public opinion may shift to something else which might not look good for you. Well, my thing is like, why not be consistent? Are you familiar with what happened with the Redskins organization, the yeah, Washington Redskins? See, that's in a different state. There are okay. inconsistencies in American law. And see, okay. the thing about it is, is our system is probably one of the best. Another one, for example, is the French system. And in the French mm-hmm. system, they have it that uh, a trial judge relying upon his law conviction, or intimate conviction, meaning his gut reaction, 
if he's a wise and learned man, that gut reaction is as reliable as what 12 people on a jury do. So in French law, you're presumed guilty until you prove yourself innocent. But there's some different standards about that. And other places, they don't have juries. They have three-man courts where three judges try you. Mm -hmm. You have to get two out of the three one way or the other. We get our jury system from Roman law. They had the Roman Senate, which was hereditary or by appointment of the emperor or by confirmation of the Senate upon nomination. And then they had the House of Plebes, which was ordinary people. They were elected for two-year terms, and that's where our House of Representatives comes from. We have a comparable Senate, so they get selected as senators in a different way, and they serve six years. If you were a Roman citizen, you had a right to trial. Mm -hmm. by jury, and you have the right to an attorney. And if you lost, you had a right to an appeal to various magistrates. And if you were dissatisfied with the magistrate's ultimate decision or the the ultimate magistrate's decision, you had a right to appeal to the Roman mob where they could decide whether or not you were going to be guilty. Even if all of the appellate process was for hang him or crucify him, the mob could say, nope, let him go. Hmm. But they couldn't come back in and say he's guilty because he had a right to trial. That's where we get our system from. See, man, we got all these cases. I I look at even in uh, the state of Mississippi, there's a guy on death row named Curtis Flowers, a black man, an indigent, poor black man from Winona, Mississippi who's been tried six times on the same circumstantial evidence, no fingerprints, nothing connected him to the scene of the crime, but on circumstantial uh, evidence and an overzealous prosecutor who's been in the office for 20 plus years. Well, yeah. Say, and sometimes let's try this with circumstantial evidence case. There is a murder. Mm-hmm. The ballistics involved in the murder indicate that there's a very novel weapon involved which is very rare okay an invoice that a certain somebody got one of these weapons and also the invoice shows they got a certain amount of a peculiar type of ammunition that matches what's pulled out of the victim Mm -hmm. and let's say they bought more than one of them let's say they got five of these weapons and a sufficient quantity of ammunition And let's say some months later, they were required to do an inventory. And uh, instead of having five of these weapons, they claim one's missing. Now, that's circumstantial evidence of what? Mm. That whoever got the weapons on the invoice, whoever got the ammo on the invoice, whoever had them in their custody but can't produce all of them after four months is most likely someone that used them to commit the murder, right? Right. Yeah, guess what that is? What? That situation with James Earl Ray's rifle. Guess who the invoice shows the weapons went to? The FBI, late December (laughs) 1967. Guess what Uh the inventory conducted in late April 1968 shows? Only four. We lost one. We don't know where it went. Oh my God! It's always an inside job. You guys don't sound like like missing evidence from the evidence locker, right? Yeah, personal order from J. Edgar Hoover 
48 hours before King was killed for the first time in years. All personnel are ordered to cease and desist on all auditory, auditory and visual surveillance of Dr. Martin Luther King. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, what did we have? Huh. See, so, you know, in circumstantial evidence is like prosecutorial discretion, what you want to use it for and what not. What do you mean by well, the thing about I was recently looking at a documentary about RFK, Robert Kennedy, because, you know, his 50th anniversary is coming up on June the, I guess, the 5th or the 6th. On the 5th. He died on June the 5th. But uh, the Thomas Noguchi, the famous uh, forensics expert from L.A., I mean, like they're always trying to ignore him. I was at a conference. He was there talking about what went on. Yeah, but he said, but he said himself, said, look, the shot that killed RFK came from behind. I, I heard him. And what Sir Henry Sam was always in the front. He was never behind. I was at a conference at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh last mm-hmm. week. Wow. I lectured about the King uh, killing mm-hmm. and the rifle. And Sir Hans, Sir Hans' lawyer was there. Daniel Ray's lawyer was there. And Thomas Noguchi mm-hmm. was there. They had some of the detectives from the Robert Kennedy assassination there. They had some of the detectives from the John F. Kennedy assassination. Wow. So wow. it was uh, three days and it was quite informative. So what does it say when the, the justice, the just us system ignores the, their own experts, like on these type of cases? Well, here's what happens. A lot of cases can't be proved. In the type mm-hmm. of society we live in, that's what you need because you don't want the state to have too many intrusive powers. They tend to become tyrants if they get it. Mm-hmm. All right? But on the other hand, there's sometimes a public clamor for something to be done, even if it's not the right thing to do. Yeah, Miss Mop. <laughs> exactly. We mm-hmm. want blood. Mm-hmm. And what is worse it's one thing if you get the far right doing it, but the worst is when you get the far left of the liberal side demanding blood. Yeah, but to me, like the liberals are more like hypocrites when it comes to stuff like that. Yes, they are. And the bottom yeah. line is on, well, not, I won't say bottom line, but mm-hmm. one of the problems with them is they feel sanctimonious and righteous because right. they perceive themselves as giving people a bend-over-backwards type of break. Mm -hmm. But they don't know more than the right wing does. So it's dangerous when you let mob rule interject itself. What about The problem with that trial is Mm -hmm. it was too much of a cliche if you knew. And if you were familiar with what the system does, the justice system, there was too much mob control and too much outside influence in this trial. And that's mm-hmm. Shepard versus Maxwell. Okay. 384 U.S. 333, 1966. Hey, Joe, I got to definitely ask you about this as well, too. Uh, well, yeah, well, I'll look at that, even the RFK thing, the LAPD. I mean, like Daryl Gates, I mean, all them guys were so, like, just nasty. They, they actually stored a lot of evidence in that yes. situation. Yeah, see, what people need to understand about <laughs> L.A., Robert Kennedy, the O.J. thing, 
Mm-hmm. You need to understand about uh, the riots that occurred in 65, the riots in 92, uh, all kinds of stuff. Is LAPD once were the worst corrupt bastards you could ever find. Mm-hmm. See, they have a long history of racism. During World War II, until the Defense the War Department got involved and clamped down on it, they had what they called the zoot suit riots. Mm-hmm. In other words, black and Mexican hipsters, they wore zoot suits. So you got some good old boys came from the South to do training with the military out in Los Angeles, and they were having riots going around jacking up Mexicans and black youngsters and stripping them naked and burning their clothes on the streets. See, and LAPD turned a blind eye and tried to help them. Not the victims, but the perpetrators. Mm-hmm. The LAPD, for those who grew up in L.A., have always been known as some lying racists. Yeah. I mean, they, they were real-life Gestapo. <laughs> they I always think about L.A. Confidential, the movie. I mean, I think it, it describes that climate pretty well. Don't you think? Well, uh, no, it does. Exactly. Is that the one where they had somebody like Joe Friday, the cop? Yeah, yeah. Kevin Spacey. That that movie is the most authentic movie I've ever seen about LAPD. Mm -hmm. On West Coast law enforcement. Mm -hmm. That, been there, seen that, done that. That's exactly how they used to work. That part about them throwing the trying to throw the DA out of the office, mm-hmm. that actually happened. Mm. Police ran City Hall. Wow. But like you got this, people always think of California out there as being progressive, though. But it's not the truth. No, it's, it, uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. Inglewood right now. That's the hood, Inglewood. Uh-huh. But when I was growing up in L.A., you didn't pass through Inglewood after dark unless you had a pass because you were going to get jacked up. Wow. You didn't need drive through it. Mm. You didn't go through Anaheim out there where Disneyland was from dark unless you could show some tickets you on your way back from Disneyland. Wow. And this country is something else. <laughs> that's supposed to be California where there was no official segregation. It's a, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, that's probably like, look, go west, young man. Go west for opportunity. You know, when they were mentioning folks in Memphis, Thomas Miles told his people to go west. Mm-hmm. His last words, but you can't find no justice. So can black people find justice in this system? I mean, can we find any type of relief in a system like this? Right, well, when we decide to impose justice, here okay. in Memphis, for example, we need the demand of all of the Democrats on the county commission as to why they don't approve the resolution necessary to replace these D-ball voting machines. Mm-hmm. Now, I published, I'll give it to you in a second. Let me look it up again. I'll give you the encryption code for these election machines. Anybody writes it down and you live in Memphis, um, you can dictate the outcome of the election. It's been online for some years. And it's known Mm -hmm. 
California got so disgusted with the D-ball voting machines and how compromised they were that they published it. So anybody that's got this can use a cell phone, make up a text using the numbers that the election commission gives for the offices and for the candidate numbers that they assign, and they can control the outcome of an election. The reason I'm doing this is it's just the further around it gets, the more embarrassing it is to anybody out on the county commission to not vote to replace it. The number is uppercase F, as in Foxtrot, Two six five four lowercase h as in hotel, uppercase d as in delta four, uppercase l two six five four lowercase h, uppercase d four. That's the Debold encryption key. Has access codes to all of the Debold machines. Now, what's that say about the elections we've had for the last eighteen years? They've not been valid. Yeah, they talking about Russians, huh? <laughs> we yeah. got our own it's an inside jobs. <laughs> yeah. And see, they're kind of saying the Russians did it online. You can't do it online, but what you do is you use a cell phone. If you know what to do, you dictate a text to a third party and use the right numbers. You stand in front of the machine right before you vote, press send, and it sends a signal which is picked up by the card reading slot which corrupts that machine. Every machine in the precincts corrupted in 10 minutes and within 45 minutes to an hour you've taken over the whole system. So you with that you can call whoever you want to be elected if you know what to do with it. Hmm. But we don't get into those kind of programming things. See, Other people do. So, and then if you want justice, get some judges. They don't have to be black. They have to be fair humans who are empathetic to people. You need to not excuse yourself from jury duty. That's the worst. You you have jury pools where there are a realistic number of African Americans or black folk on the jury pool, but they don't wind up that way because all of the blacks are trying to get off the jury. Or we don't read enough. We can't get in the verbal comprehension, so we don't understand what the judge is saying. And then we've got dumb fools running around, even some of the teachers in school, talking about we need to teach eubonics. No, you don't. You don't know anything but eubonics. You can't operate down there as a juror. Thinking about all this, I want to ask you as well. I know you spoke it out on it. Uh, I saw your uh, tweet. I thought I agree with your tweet uh, about the slavery is a choice thing, like the thing that Kanye West oh, yeah, said. It's a choice. <laughs> Thank you. Why is that? Why you feel that? Okay. There is no excuse for a man of honor to have remained a slave. He had several options, three of which are he could have escaped, he could have mm-hmm. had a, a rebellion, an insurrection, or he could die. 
Yeah. And people did those things. Individuals held, did escape, they did fight, and they died. They didn't stay in slavery. The problem was not enough of us did it. They so why you think the Native Americans? Because the Native Americans would just let themselves die. They wouldn't eat. So why do people are so like black folks are so emotional about this issue? Like somebody said, we play the ancestors were the ones that didn't have the balls to run their ass away, create an insurrection, or go die. And the ones, see, we call each other kings and queens, but our ancestors, if you were black American who got caught, weren't kings and queens. They mm. were peasants. You know, some of those peasants rose above themselves. Some weren't really peasants, but they got caught wrong time, wrong place. They jumped off the boat. Some of them might have just bided their time and said, no, hell no. Let me find out what this is. I'm going to escape. And they escaped. Some of them got caught and died. Some of them got brought back, tried to escape again. Multiple times got beaten out to death, but they kept going. Some people, and there were plenty of revolts that occurred. Right. And plenty of individual instances. And there was always the final option, I'm not going to take it, I'll die first. He's not getting another ounce of my free labor. Yeah. I mean, can you listen to the slave narratives? Like, a former enslaved black people, they were inter- interviewed by the uh, Works Progressive Administration on Library of Congress back in the 40s and the 50s and 30s. And one guy even said that if they brought back slavery, he would shoot himself. Yeah, he said a lot of black folks chose that. We, we, even when they got free, a lot of black folks wanted to be slaves. So he was like, <laughs> "It all worked." Uncle Remus. Mm-hmm. Remus, I remember back in the fifties when we were in elementary school, we all looked at it. They required us to learn the song. Zippity doodah, zippity day, my oh my, what a wonderful day. The theme of Uncle Remus was he was a slave and he was lamenting that the South was being overwhelmed by the evil people out of the North, and he was going to be turned loose on his own when he was so happy being a slave. Hmm. And the guy who played Uncle Remus won an Oscar for that role. Which, uh, oh, yeah? <laughs> hmm. Interesting. So, like, should we be responsible for teaching these stories? Like, even the Haitian Revolution, they chose not to be slaves. They chose to fight back. Toussaint Louverture, yeah, yeah, he led the revolution. They got screwed up when in the 1920s, the United States sent the Marine Corps down there to occupy the island, and they deliberately put in uh, Marine Corps uh, personnel who were from the South, and they terrorized Haiti. We did that, <laughs> and they set up the likes of Papa Doc Duvalier, and then Papa Doc Jr., our baby doc. And then, see, we've got the Maroons. The Maroons didn't need emancipation because they got themselves free. They still have Maroons in uh, Jamaica mine. They are the elite military unit that the British armed forces always like to integrate into their maneuvers because they're so bad, man. Wow. So we got to talk more about these, you know, no exceptions to the rules. I mean, I think a lot of us don't know about these you know, people or this history. That's why everybody on the planet looks down on us. I mm. see we look to Africa to say we got pride in Africa, but nobody looks up to Africa either. It would be up to us to collaborate with them to make what we are something glorious. 
but then you see we go and get the highest box office ever on a action adventure superhero movie, Black Pussy, also <laughs> known as the Black Panther movie. And the uh-huh. thing is, is to give all your secrets and put you 500 years in the future technologically so you can reverse the role of white man taking over Africa to Africa taking over everywhere else, and you give it away because you're good Negroes. That's right. I got actually too. Have you seen this uh, CW superhero uh, TV show called Black Lightning? I looked at it. I could take it ten minutes, and I turned away. <laughs> what made you turn away? I'm just curious. I think I know, but if you had superpowers, what would you be doing? I'll be going the world. I'll be saving people. Yeah, well, but what else would you be doing? Um. Can't nobody stop you, so what would you be doing? I'd be, be running stuff. I'd be running exactly. everything. Exactly. How about <laughs> Nazis running around? What would you do with them? I'll make them work for me. I'll, I'll get rid of them all. Exactly. And until yeah. you get a black superhero movie where the uh, semi-immortal half-god-like entity does not do that, I'm not looking at it. But even like... we. Come today, right? We say, well, slavery is a choice, but is not also police brutality a choice, too? It is. I remember if you say that, people get all upset about it, though. Oh, my God. Why are you going to say something like this? But see, it's another thing, too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. One of the premises on which this country was founded, excluding the slaves, because they didn't think slaves would appreciate it, nor did they want them to hear it. You have mm-hmm. an obligation to resist the tyranny. See, that's what I did down at this bozo or clown place juvenile court mm-hmm. in Shelby County. In other words, you have an obligation to comply with righteous laws and regulations and procedures. But you have a duty and an obligation to resist unjust laws and proceedings. So mm-hmm. it was nothing just about what was going on. That place in the 40-some five years I'd had experience with it, there was nothing just going on. The first appearance down there, the judge was a sixth-grade dropout. That was the extent of his education. And that bozo called me of the N-word when he thought I was on his docket. Wow. That's personal, but just off of the wrong they've done to this community, poor white and all the black folk that go down through there over the last since – 55 years since that clown got in there in 1963, the late, unlimited Kenneth Turner, formerly head of Vice Squad. But anyway, see, it's so unjust that when I saw an injustice being done to a lady, it was my duty and obligation to resist and not comply with the request of an unjust proceeding. Mm-hmm. If I went to jail for it, then fine. That was just what had to happen. People forget civil disobedience. That's the whole thing about the 60s. And by the way, last week was the anniversary, 50th anniversary, of what those National Guardsmen did up at Kent State University in Ohio and shot mm-hmm. all those students. They were white, but they still shot them down because they were peacefully protesting. Wow. A lot of stuff happened in 1968. Uh, Bunchy Carter and uh, company and 
Geronimo Pratt G. We called him. I recruited him to UCLA. Mm-hmm. John Huggins. I recruited him to UCLA. Uh, Bunchy Carter. I recruited him to UCLA. Nathaniel Clark. I recruited him to UCLA. Elaine Brown. I recruited her to UCLA. They were all Panthers. Mm-hmm. I don't see they murdered two of them in cold blood, and I wound up having LAPD detectives tell me. You know uh, that somebody in their SIS unit was working with the people who were the killers. Hmm. They told me that. Wow. I told them that they said, "No, no way." They called me up. I said, "Well, what do you want?" Well, you know, there your buddies, blah blah blah. And then I heard a whisper. So we meet us at such and such restaurant. So I met them at the restaurant. Well, what's the problem? I said, "Well, yeah." I said you were right. They're with us. So you, they are. I told you. Yeah, we can't get to them because every time we get ready to go out, somebody from the SIS tips them off that we're coming. SIS was Special Investigative Services for LAPD. Hmm. Wow. They tried to kill me too, hell. But I wasn't in my chair when they put four bullet holes through the back of it. Hmm. I was, my office was in that building, and they killed Huggins and uh, Carter down there on the first floor. There were four people in the gunman party. Two were uh, backup, and two were the trigger men. Uh, everybody knew who they were. Witnesses gave the police their mama's address. They got two of them who were accessories. They convicted them of second-degree murder, put them in jail. They walked off two days after they got put in. And uh, they never reported them, and I saw them out on the streets a year after that at the Palladium down on Hollywood Boulevard. The guy mm-hmm. named Yuko Babu, who runs the Pan-African Film Festival, he, myself, and several others, we were trying to raise money for Fernamo to get them some combat boots and jungle fatigues. We had bought up a bunch of them, but the State Department confiscated them and they wound up giving us the cash value, so we had to get the cash there because they didn't want us doing that. But these clowns showed up at the concert we had given. And then guess what? 25 years after that, they tried to turn themselves in. They'd been convicted of second-degree murder and walked off after serving two days of the sentence, and California told them they weren't interested. And they never did get the two gunmen. Wow. I mean, this this stuff was going on. Right. So that's just kind of background for a lot of this nonsense. But, you know, we've kind of got off the subject, I guess. But let's see, what else is in the news? Oh, yeah. Uh, Labor Department reports the lowest unemployment in the last 20 25 years generally and the lowest black unemployment in 36 years. Mm. So people say that's a lie. It's fabrication. You can't believe anything Trump says, but Trump didn't say it. The Department of Labor did. But I mean, anyway, also the other little thing came up was on directive. Black colleges are getting the biggest chunk of money they've had in the last 48 years. And yeah, so... We all love Hillary Clinton, and some people are talking about Bernie Sanders is a traitor, 
for keeping Hillary from winning. No, we don't need a witch. <laughs> but that's interesting with the Trump thing, because even with uh, what's going on with North and South Korea, they're not oh, really yeah. giving him any credit for that. Southern is saying, I'm stopping the test. All these mm-hmm. other folks running around in hysteria talking about he doesn't he gonna ruin it, you know, he'll all get us in a nuclear war. Hell, he's even got Iran talking some sense. So I mean I don't particularly like him, but I mean what the devil? Results are getting delivered. All these other fools you had in there for the last, let's say, eight years for the uh Obama tang, and then you've got eight years for the Bushite. And eight years for Clinton, so what's that? That's uh, three times eight. That's 24 years, and you certainly didn't get it for the four years of George Herbert Walker. That's uh, another A4 topped on, on top of the 24. That's 28 years, and then you get another bloody doggone thing down there with uh, that fake St. Ron the Reagan. That was eight years thrown in on that. Ooh. So, you know, what time is this? What wow. Obama's doing? He didn't do a damn thing. It's nothing. He was a front. He was a little white boy, skinny white boy, looking like a chick flick matinee star that played basketball. And as BBC observed, he didn't even try to give a character message to the youth and came from one of the richest families in the world. And... We didn't get anything. So, you know, just the idea, you got the first black-looking president, and you get a Trump giving you more? That's ridiculous. But then, like, I, we tried to, we talked, well, I talked to some black people. They seem to be very emotional about Trump in a negative way. Like, why do we have such an emotional response to people like Trump? They conditioned to be dogs. You know what I mean by that? The dog always protects the master. Mm-hmm. So you got Missy Hillary and Master Clinton, and they're defending their masters and don't even know why. What do you think about Bernie Sanders? Because he kept he he gave difficulties to their mistress coming in so she could take over the plantation. And all the Russians were at fault, so their Missy didn't take over the plantation. No, they just hated her. Mm. Dogs sitting up there barking and trying to defend the master and Missy. There's something. It's something to behold, man. I mean, I just it is something else right now with us right now. I just think somebody's gonna get on me. Like somebody's please, you're not black down in black folks like that. Nobody right. sounds black. I said, you know what? It's not down in black folk and not help hating yourself when you try to correct former slaves to not look at their lives in a sagged and bagged fashion, pull their pants up and be men, and berating them for not. Am I wrong on that? I mean, I think somebody should, you know, speak out. I mean, I, I definitely, I respect people's freedom of speech and expression, especially persons that stand by what they say. And Judge, you have been very consistent in standing by what you say, and you deliver. And I, I, I was thinking about when you were saying that. There's a couple of things that crossed my mind uh, about okay, like black people, we support 
you know, people that speak out on our behalf. We love celebrities that stand up for us, but then we find out the celebrity is uh, sleeping with the other. Like, you know, they married to a white woman or a white man or whatever. And we like, oh, man, they they can't represent us because they sleep with the enemy. What, what's your thoughts on that? You know, I just say everybody needs to take a DNA test, find out what they have in them. A whole lot of people that look like they're white aren't. A whole lot of people that think they're super black got a lot of white in them. Hmm. It's a cultural thing, a matter of perception. Perception can get you killed real quickly when the reality could save you. Yeah. Or I mean, something short of dying. I mean, can you look at a lot of people that were players in the civil rights movement? A lot of them slept, you know, with others. You know, like you know, marry others. You know. Yeah, and civil rights movement. I didn't buy into it because there's nobody gonna whip my head while I'm down on the ground on my knees without me trying to kill them. Mm-hmm. That's just natural. I mean, that's a natural response. But they, they, they did what they did. A lot of them on the bi side, gay side, secretly, or not so secretly. A lot of them were masochistic. Some of them meant well. Mm-hmm. But, uh uh-uh. you, you know, like Malcolm X said, ain't turning the other cheek. All right. I think this is where we're at right now. I mean, like, that's why. You got the slavery is a choice people who said slavery was not a choice. They looked at it, I guess, the civil rights generation model. Yeah, so you, well, you, bottom you know, line is, the bottom line is, is you should be deeply ashamed of the fact that black folk were such good slaves. Mm. But they don't want to admit that because they have this system, systemic outlook of we survived. The black man survived in America. That's a shame. There shouldn't be so many of us as there are today because so many of us should have died trying to get free. And then the other thing, see, that's like that's like fast food and cows. Mm-hmm. One of the few large mammals on the planet that's not in danger of dying out or becoming extinct are cows. Why? Because we eat a lot of cow. Mickey D's, uh, Burger King, Wendy's. Taco Bell, you know, mm-hmm. steakhouse stuff, steak or burger or whatever it may be. And even though every damn cow in the herd is going to get slaughtered and made into a beef steak or a beef burger, mm-hmm. the herd will survive. So we look at it as it's okay for us to passively go to the slaughterhouse and die as long as we survive. I don't look at it like that because I'm no damn bovine. Or any porcine, that's a pig, or any sheep, or anything else. I like to eat meat. I am a predator. I revel, revel in being an apex predator on the planet, the apex predator. And ain't nobody going to treat me like I'm some four footed cud chewer or leaf eater. All right. But some of our people are uh, proud of it and they brag about it because. You know why we do a lot of this stuff? We haven't done enough personally to hold our check, chest out and say, screw you. You know, I've done what, you know, I should have done, and I'm not through doing it. Yep. You ever have black women doing slavery, killing their children to keep them from becoming slaves? Not that frequently. But we're examples, though. I'm saying we have examples of people like, even like you look at Virginia, you look at Gabriel Prosser. 
what he tried to do. You know, he was going to lead the insurrection and kidnap the governor of Virginia, and then some of his own so-called people snitched on him. Turn him in. <laughs> you know, before the Civil War, you know what's interesting about it? What? Until they got those immigration waves after the Civil War from Europe, America mm-hmm. was one-third black. Mm. And you have all that frontier from the Mississippi all the way to the West Coast. And you mean to tell us that these folk who have gotten all of these skills over in Africa dealing with forest and trail could not have gotten their sorry behind off into that wild wilderness between the West Coast and the Mississippi River and mingled with the Indians and gotten free? I mean, we did. Our problem is we have to win the West. The Buffalo Soldiers is just oh, yeah, responsible the for that. Is to see we mm-hmm. weren't fighting for ourselves. That's the problem. I'm saying that's why I said it's, it's a problem with the Buffalo Soldiers because well, they were fighting they, for the white man. And then I'll even give these brothers something too. Mm-hmm. At the end of the Civil War, Grant, for example, in his memoirs noted that you never saw a colored soldier without a book or a slate to practice right. his writing. Mm-hmm. And on a survey he took, it turned out that the only 100% literate outfits in the whole Union Army were colored volunteers. Mm. But what happened between then and now? And he's right. <laughs> See, Civil War battles were bloody. Right. More people died in the Civil War than have died in all the other American wars put together. Mm-hmm. And there was no anesthesia. The surgery was brutal. They saw the ruptured leg off while you were wide awake, biting down on something. There was no medicine. People died more gangrene and disease than anything else. And you stood and delivered in some withering fire and wound up basically representing the proportion of the American population. One third of the Union Army wound up colored. Wow. So they fought for their freedom. What happened to their sorry ass and descendants? You know, it's interesting you say all that because, like, tomorrow is going to be the uh, birthday anniversary of John Brown. But even he knew that as a white man, he couldn't fight for the black man's liberation, that the black man must fight for himself. But he was willing to sacrifice his life for the yeah, liberation. I'm principal. I have no right. problems with him. He's a decent human being. By the way, but, mm-hmm. you should see, and it's based on a true story. I met one of the man's descendants. It's okay. Free State of Jones. County of Mississippi. Oh, yeah, I see. That's a great movie. Yeah, I like that movie. Yeah. yeah. And it's very powerful. 1947, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All what went on, we could have been doing that a lot, but we didn't. And that's our problem. That's why we, like you said, we never really had our moment where we, we really fought, like a revolutionary, like fought to the death. Yeah. Bloody. See, one of our things is we are too matriarchal, and the women that constitute our matriarchy are not trained. And you know what they lack? What? Something that the Spartan mothers were ideal examples. Son, come back with your shield or on it. In other words, if you did it, you're coming back with it. If you didn't, you're dead and you're being carried on it. Mm-hmm. Our mothers don't tell our boys that there's something to die for unless it's trivial. I hear you. I, you know what? I was thinking about what you were saying because I'm looking at what's happening to Cosby. They're trying to erase the man's whole legacy, not just destroy the man, but destroy the legacy. Destroy the legacy. Somebody yeah. that got to the top of that filthy, rotten Hollywood. Right. 
and he had a Ph.D., and he was trying to show us how to live in a decent family instead of that encroaching matriarchy that's so poisonous that we have. Yeah, but even we, a lot of us don't realize, even when you look at Black Lightning or the Black Lives Matter movement, where they basically they, they try to get rid of alpha black males, alpha black federal males. That's why Malcolm is not appreciated, really, because Malcolm was too, too, he was too much of a, of a man. See, I and they try to water him down. Yeah, see, I understand what King was about. But the truth of the matter is mm-hmm. prior to King getting assassinated, the person that the young black folk went for was Malcolm X, not Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. See, it's like everybody thinks warmly of John F. Kennedy, right? Right. John F. Kennedy's ratings two weeks before he died are were worse than Trump's are right now. I believe it. <laughs> But they deified him because he got shot. Right. Abraham Not only did he get shot, but he died. He, he had yeah. to die, like like he unlike died, George died. Wallace. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, he died. Mm-hmm. Um, now people deify him. Right. But it's That's the true. same thing. They did that with Malcolm X. See, the underground thing was Malcolm X is the man. Martin Luther yeah. King was not the same thing Malcolm X was. But he's easy to digest more than Malcolm even today, right? Because they could. Yeah, they made a holiday out of Martin. Right, but right. The wrong man was Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, black folks, they're still afraid of Malcolm X. They try to say stuff by, by any means necessary. They try to say, oh, I didn't mean like that. <laughs> why, why I say it? Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. Yeah, but you see, <laughs> white folks all through elementary school, junior high and high school, heard this for the last 240 years. Mm-hmm. Do you think black folk got that? Oh, no, no. Even when Barry Goldwater, he said extremism is a virtue in some cases. Yeah, in other words, black folk did not get put in there, give me liberty or give me that. I regret that I have one life to give, just one life to give the yeah, life. The, the thing you have, have, right. I have not yet begun to fight. Yep. Uh, I shall return. <laughs> what is it? The Marine Corps has that thing. Retreat. Hell no. We just got here. That's right. Well, we. It's funny how they made it like the docile uh, grass eating cows, like you said. We like cows. Exactly. We survive. Very docile, submissive. Sometimes I want to puke. Say, act like a damn man, for God's sake. If you know that you put- goddamn TV watching basketball and other foolishness, pay attention to what's going on. You're going out there trying to run sleazy babes that are overweight. Go buy yourself a damn pistol and some ammo. Go to the range and learn how to use the thing. Get you a CCW if you don't already have a crook background. Wow. Yeah, but I mean, even like with the thing, like I think about two white lesbians who killed their black adopted kids, right? They did a Thelma and Louise. We let our kids, like, we, I mean, why are we not more advocates for our kids, like, protective our children? Like, if you know our kids are being railroaded, how come we not standing in the gap for our kids, for our children, like we should? You don't get it. I'll give you an example. Pansy. Mm-hmm. You remember what Aunt Jemima used to look like on the pancake box? Uh, yeah, she was fat, big and black. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I haven't looked in the last four or five years, but the last time I did, they had Aunt Jemima looking like Beyonce. <laughs> now, what are they putting up in the movies and on television as ideal black woman like old Aunt Jemima? And I'll say something about that. Everybody can be beautiful inside. Right. But, you know, we've got some of the poor sisters who are going around and they're talking about, I'm an African queen and I'm a beautiful woman. No, sister, I'm sorry. I think you there a whole bunch of villages in Africa and they wouldn't classify you as beautiful. So get over that. And since you denigrate physical beauty, work on your mind. Be a good mother to somebody and stop running around trying to act like you want somebody to chase you, but acting like you don't want somebody to chase you. Mm-hmm. You know, beauty is a rare thing. It's like athleticism. Everybody is not a star athlete if you're a guy. So you get over it and do something else if you can't play basketball because so you're six feet four. Right. Or, you know, you're not a football player or a baseball player. You go find something else. You can be a warrior if you stand there in line and deliver. Be a hunter. So there are, you don't have to even be that. You can use your head. But, man, but you look at what, what the programming they're doing on us through the the culture and through the TV and stuff. Like, they, all they push is like being entertainers for black people. That's the most yeah. powerful thing would be our entertainers, entertaining white yeah. people. And, and, and by the way, what they do do us uh, uh, a disservice on. Remember the movie. Hidden figures about the three right. and the, the calculations for NASA. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I met them years and years and years ago. Let me describe them to you. They were hot mm. in micro mini dresses and afros, looking good. And what did they look like in the movie? <laughs> I mean, the ladies in the movie—they were not attractive at all. No, that ain't my skill of a fine woman. I mean, some sisters are okay, you know, mm-hmm. but I mean, yeah. see, I say look at it as denigration of masculinity. In other words, the ladies are being trolled. They shouldn't worry about men being attracted to them. They mm-hmm. have worth otherwise. But the way Mother Nature works is, is she wants strong men to be attracted to certain kind of women so they breed. Mm-hmm. So the next generation of boys are strong. The next generation of girls are capable and good looking. I hear you. Mm. So I'm sorry. That's just the way Mother Nature has worked for a long, long time, long before they had humans. So you saying like eugenics exists in nature before Hitler, right? Yeah. <laughs> so that's natural. Yeah. I'm see. I'm sorry. I don't care how much you want it to be different from reality. Reality is what it is. Mm-hmm. Everybody has worth as a human. Mm-hmm. But you, everybody's not a beauty queen, and everybody's not a star athlete. See, this is what's poisonous. You go to a junior high school and you ask the boys in the assembly what they want to be, and every hand goes up they want to be a pro basketball player. First off, there aren't as many pro basketball players in the country as there are students in that 
auditorium holding their hands up. So that's unrealistic. And if your behind's in the 11th grade and you five feet four, why are you holding your hand up to be a basketball player? Work on your mind. You know, so that's like the girls are going, we're all beautiful, honey. Yeah, but you're 200, 150 pounds overweight. You know, and you'd make yourself look a lot better if you took all of that 20 pounds of weave out of your hair and took a shower and, you know, soaked down real well. You'd smell better. Hey. Like you said, they destroyed Bill Cosby because you were trying to change the culture. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, you were trying to change the, how they program us through the media. Yeah. But yeah. now he's going to be remembered as being a rapist, a uh, druggist and a rapist now. That's, that's the narrative they're going to run with now. Cause I remember, I, I never, never going to forget uh, when I saw the, uh, what, the playoffs a couple years ago. They talking about how uh, Kobe Bryant teammates said he was a great teammate. But like somebody, one of the commentators said, but they put out a narrative years ago that Kobe was a bad teammate. So no, no matter what, no, I mean, like, you know, I guess, you know, I guess his opinion, but they were trying to say that he has grown into his position as a leader, but because of what they put out through the media years ago, that's going to be the narrative that they stick with. No, that's the narrative there, that sticks. There is a, a basis, in fact, in that he's selfish. I happen to have known Magic Johnson and his family for 35 years, right? Mm-hmm. Part owner of the league. I used to go to his parties. And I can remember one, we were there with the Dream Team, and they were just bitching about the year before during the playoffs. Okay. So Kobe wouldn't come to practice. So Kobe never would practice much. And it's like they'd have plays, but when Kobe got in, you couldn't have the play because if you gave him the ball, he didn't know the plays. He's just going to gun it and do what he's going to do. And if he's on, he'll make some points, but there's no team play. Now, I'll contrast that with another opinion on the matter. I didn't get that kind of treatment in L.A., but in Detroit, for two years running, they had me doing the tip-off during the playoffs. So what the Detroit players said, well, yeah, the Lakers have better talent than we do, but they've got Kobe, so we win. (laughs) Kobe keeps them from being a team. Hmm. Coach Jackson said, go to hell. I quit. I'm not working with anymore. So they really did something for his salary to bring him back for that last year when he became the winningest coach in NBA history. Mm-hmm. And during one playoffs, his last series of playoffs, Lakers were down by 19 points. So he benched Kobe, and they caught up and were 17 points ahead within seven minutes, seven, eight minutes. So he, they mm-hmm. asked him out of the game, after the game, why'd you bench Kobe? Well, let's just say Kobe was trying to do too many things. In other words, he'd been a ball hog and not a, uh, a team player. You know, Shaq was a team player. And I like Shaq. I'm so glad he's got all these commercials. I'm glad for the brother. Mm-hmm. And then when they put that thing in the L.A. Times to show you what a chump Kobe was when he got jacked up for that rape stuff and he was trying to turn Shaq in, they right, had to that. that was <laughs> wrong. It was wrong. It was. It ain't nothing but acting like no fool hood rat trying to get out of your own wrong by jacking somebody else up. Because Shaq never got in trouble for that type of stuff. I mean, no. He's with his stuff. Yeah, he actually, he's still a reserve cop. Mm-hmm. And they, I remember they interviewed him. It was kind of funny. 
on these, you know, really out there sports shows, and they were talking about mm-hmm. how you like being down here. Oh, it's great, man. How you feel, Shaq? Pain? Yeah, I got the pain under control. Team's looking great. We're going to go far. So they talk with him and say, all right, Shaq, great talking to you, brother. Great talking to you. Got anything else to say? So, well, no. Well, yeah. Say, Kobe, <laughs> go after yourself. That's the whole word. Uh-huh. People don't appreciate that kind of stuff where you can't be a prima donna and you can't be a team player. Actually, most of the folk out there thought that he would they would have been better off as a team if they had traded Kobe Bryant for some draft choices and some primo other players and kept Shaq. But for some reason, one of the co-owners, the majority owner now dead, was just in love with Kobe. You know, Dr. So Jerry Buss, yeah. Well, I guess they look at that Shaq was on, like, you know, Shaq been in the league for several years and Kobe was not even in his prime yet. So I guess he was going with the future. Well, yeah, but the future wasn't Kobe. I mean, they won two more rings, though, right? I mean, they won two more. See, see, here's what the deal is. What the Lakers had was so Mm -hmm. outstanding, but you never got a chance to see it because as long as they played him, they couldn't be a team. It's like one of them told me, I won't mention his name, he said it's like what we do is playground pickup ball. Well, you got a lot of talented people, but nobody's had a chance to be a team. Or other guy chimed in, yeah, it's like all-star game. Everybody's got a lot of talent, but it's just kind of run and gun and see what you do with no teamwork. That's interesting. I mean, it's, I mean, what about the triangle offense and stuff? I mean, it's so. Yeah, so in other feel- words, you have plays and you have four people on the floor that know the plays and will play them, and a fifth man that won't go along with the plays and sometimes you have to give him the ball, and he's mad at everybody else because they won't give him the ball because he doesn't know the plays. He's going to run and gun, and if he's hot, then he gets some points. But if not, the team falls behind. So you put him on the bench, and then you put a fifth person in to take his place who's a team player. And at that point, what happens is they win. Now, I think I've met personally, some of the best basketball players ever. Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's a classmate of mine, Magic, uh, and I've met uh, several others. Uh, I used to be on uh, Penny Hardaway's board of directors for his charity foundation, mm-hmm. and I met Michael Jordan. But I was sitting at a table with Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson at it was called Garden of Eden, cat a corner across from Brahman's Chinese Theater mm-hmm. on Hollywood Boulevard in L.A. We got a joint party with one hell of a party going on. And like Magic was asking uh, Jordan about it, he said, you know, I could have run up 80, 90 points a game, but after the first year, I said, you know, somebody needs to lead this team. So it would be better for me to make 20 to 30 or 40 and keep getting rings because we play as a team and I make the team gel or I can just go out and go for myself and see how many points I can score. Mm-hmm. So it's better for the team to win. But, see, Kobe never understood that. So why would Matt Jones say that Kobe is the greatest Laker now? because he owned part on the Laker and that's PR. 
and he wasn't the greatest Laker. <laughs> Who um, was the greatest Laker, in your opinion? Him, Magic, team player. Mm-hmm. Magic and Kareem got together, and that was unstoppable. Before that, most people don't remember him, but Elgin Baylor was one hell of a player, and Don Barksdale was a monster. Don Barksdale was the first brother to play in the NBA, and the Lakers hired him. He came out of UCLA. He played. He ran track, the high hurdles, in the fourth in the quarter mile, and the 400 meters in the Olympics. And he also was a wide receiver who caught the longest thrown ball in the history of organized football. Mm. Uh, another brother who was Kenny Washington in that same UCLA backfield, and the first black for the NFL with the Rams, he threw a pass that was credited for 102 yards in the air. Wow. Not the pass play. He was two yards deep in the UCLA end zone. They had made a recovery. He uh, fell back two yards into the end zone. He threw a pass that Don Barksdale caught as he was stepping over the goal line on the other end of the field. <laughs> it's like a video game, man. I, ain't seen it is. I got to the, I was privileged to see a film clip of that. Okay. <laughs> I sustained like it. some Titans, man. Damn. It's a little guy. That ball is still in the air. Damn. It's like an ICBM. <laughs> Damn. Wow. And he was oh. tall, but he never played basketball. But he was a hell of a player too. They used wow. to get on him because he wouldn't get set before he'd take the shots. He'd do jump shots and stuff, which back in the, those days in the pros, coaches would bench players for taking jump shots. Wow. That's what, let me ask you this about, I got to get you a take on LeBron James. Man. Is he a team player? Yeah, you? yeah, he is. Is he in the same league as a Jordan, in your opinion, or where does he rank? Jordan. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, uh, Will Chamberlain, mm-hmm. Kareem. LeBron is great. He's in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And Will Chamberlain is something. You know, Will Chamberlain scored more than 100 points all by himself yes. on two occasions. I didn't know about the two occasions. Okay. Two occasions. One, he scored 110 and the other one, like 102, 104, something like that. See, the way these people play basketball now, I think they need to drop the shot clock back to 16 seconds. They play what used to be called prevent defense and stall offense. The ball would go in, and everybody's sprinting for the other end of the floor. They don't do that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the defense came in, it was like, okay, let him take the bloody dog on shot. We'll get the ball back, sprint down to the other end, and make a play. You know, make a goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, even basketball. I was at UCLA when they were undefeated for seven straight years as NCAA champions. Uh, they would mm-hmm. average and get this eighty four to eighty six percent from the floor. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. And they hustled. They were fast. See, back 
35 years ago, they couldn't palm the ball. That was a foul, a few pounds, uh, a penalty. And that's, you know, where you have it on your hand and you turn it over. Mm-hmm. Well, nowadays, that's the stock way to do it. The guy lopes down, you know, to the other side of the court and he's palming the ball slowly. Then they had to have your hand flat parallel to the ground. When you bounced it, you had to move faster. So they don't call that penalty. But anyway, people like it. They get paid a lot more money. But, you know, I can remember going to some Lakers games where if it wasn't 65, 70 points at halftime, everybody got up, walked out, bored. There's a school. There's some great basketball out there. But what do you think about? about uh, do you think that teams today rely too much on three point shot now? Or are they better shooters today than they were back then? I don't know if they are. I just think they don't hustle as much. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, tell me what do you think is more interesting? Uh, championship game, sixty-two to fifty-four. Or a championship game with a score of 134 to 128. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think the the high score game would be something to watch. Yeah, yeah it is. It was. Yeah, it's like I liked it. It's like I would love it. Like because I like you said, like but there's no defense being played, right? Well, if it's high scoring like that. Actually, what it looks like to me is what used to be called a prevent defense. In mm-hmm. other words, you go into a tight defense, and the way you cover your opponent is to try to keep him from taking a shot. Okay. And you make him take as long as you can before he gets the shot. Now, what happens? Ball goes in, somebody ambles down the field, you know, down the court. And he gives it to another guy. This guy looks around, holds it dribbles three times, stops, throws it, some passes it off to somebody else. And when there are three seconds left on the shot clock, he takes a shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just observations. Football, I like that, too. I played football in college, and the game I don't think is interesting because you dummied the game up to make it a family affair. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the game on TV, they've got the computer-generated colored lines to let you know what's going on so people don't have to learn the rules and watch what's going on with the chain and the flags on the side of the field. Right. And the penalties are set up because they've gotten very protective of the players. They're talking about they might suffer from a head injury. Well, actually, frankly, since it's a substitute for a gladiatorial contest, the danger is what made it what it was. You know, I played football, and it was part of the fact that it was dangerous. You could get hurt badly or killed. It made it interesting. And then think about all the people that played in those old kind time fiber or leather helmets. Right. Or no face guards. Yeah, something else, man. I don't see how people... <laughs> God, I know Coach out there thinking about, you know, I guess eliminating the sport, but you think it's going to be Every time that football gets eliminated or stops being played? Not, not in a few years. It's the number one game. And baseball's too damn dull. If they would just reduce baseball to a format where when you saw it, you'd get the highlights. 
See, it started in a totally different time. It started mm-hmm. as a variant for cricket. And it was in a day and time when there was no television and no radio, mm-hmm. no movie theaters, and people would pay a nickel and catch three or four innings, drink beer, and eat some hot dogs with their buddies, and then go home for dinner and read about the outcome the next day in the paper. Because if you sit through a whole basket of baseball game, it's kind of dull. The pitcher plays catch with the catcher, you know, for hours on end. The guy sits there, pauses, pauses, looks to first, looks to second, spits, pauses, pauses, spits again, and then throws the ball. And the pitch catcher gets it. He throws it back, you know, pause, 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 slaps the ball in his glove, pause, pause. Shakes off the suggested pitch, shakes off the suggested <laughs> pitch, slaps the ball in the glove, spits three more times, right. and it goes on. You know, you put yourself to sleep with that. Mm. Drop the shot clock down to 16 seconds on basketball, loosen up some of these penalties for football, and speed the games up. Have you ever seen rugby? No, you told me, I saw a little highlights of it, but you told me how exciting it was. To yeah, watch there's, no, there's no scrimmage exactly like that. In other mm-hmm. words, unless something goes where the ball's out or something else happens, it keeps going. The guy gets tackled and, you know, another runner picks the ball up, they pitch it out, whatever. And they don't have any helmets or anything at all, and it's full contact. Mm. Wow. What's interesting is some of this arena football. Mm-hmm. What's your yeah. take on that? Well, it's real hot, fast, and heavy. It's exciting. And they don't have all of that time out and everything going on. They need to speed that up, too. That's the, I, th- I think they should make, make you the sports czar for all the sports in America. They make some better improvements. I like some of your ideas. You said, like, the make the shot clock back to 16. And I heard I the game up, hustle it up. Yeah, yeah, I like the idea. Cause even with the college basketball, I mean, Villanova, I mean, they was like a high-scoring team for college yeah. basketball. Okay. I saw UCLA score 156 to 64 one time. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that was a fool. Mike Warren, Lucius Allen, uh, Big Lou now, Kareem Abdul Jabbar. As interesting, uh, Coach Wooten would be yelling at him during practice You're out here to be students, not basketball players. You're basketball players and you've got scholarships. Use your heads to play ball like you are a student and play ball like you understand. It's just to get you someplace to use your mind. Right. And he'd insist he wouldn't let it, by the way, he wouldn't let his players play unless they had a B average. That's interesting. Okay. But he still was able to win, what, undefeated for seven years? Mm-hmm. <laughs> winning his coach in organized basketball history. 
I know that because I did a narration of a two-hour special on it for HBO some years ago. I think I've seen that. I didn't know it was your I've probably seen that, if I'm not mistaken. Let's talk. So he, he created a culture, though. He had set a standard. And, uh, but the college game is so different now with the one-and-done thing. I mean, can you really do that? Can you really be that dominant now in this era of one-and-done? Yeah, well, I don't think that's right either. They're college players. They're there to get an education. Now they're trying to turn it into a, a semi-pro situation. I don't like that. With mm-hmm. Kareem and uh, well, uh, Lou Alcindor and Mike Warren and Lucius Allen were playing, you did not have freshman eligibility. Okay. You had to be frosh for your freshman year. Then on your sophomore year, you could play on the varsity team. That's something wild. Football, too. That's so yeah, you have a talent like Lou Alcindor, and you know it's Kareem now. You had to sit out the freshman year? No, you play, but you play freshman. You don't play varsity. Okay, okay. Frosh, they called it. And mm-hmm. Kareem made a lot of practice. He was one awkward kid when he started playing. Really fast, mm-hmm. but they, uh, Coach Wooden worked with him, worked with him, worked with him, and he sharpened up and got real capable. Wow. Yeah, that sky hook there. <laughs> well, you know what happened on that sky hook? They banned the dunk because of him. Really? Yeah, so I was playing football. We'd come in, our locker room was in where Pauly Pavilion is, UCLA's basketball stadium. Uh, and we'd watch him do it. So he had Kareem practicing his sky hook over and over and over. And then once he wound up years later with the Lakers and Magic Johnson, they'd go to Magic, and if they clamped down on Magic, then they'd go to Big Blue, and instead of him dunking like ordinary centers would do, he'd do that sky hook, and nobody could block that. Wow. So they'd just feed into Kareem, and he'd do the sky hook, sky hook, sky hook, when they started trying to double, triple team him, they'd go back to Magic. Magic would do his thing. It was a treat watching Elgin Baylor and uh, Jerry West. Jerry West was interesting, but uh, Elgin Baylor, uh, well, the Celtics and the Lakers were always a good game. I mm-hmm. saw the very – my old man took me to see the very first regular scheduled season game, the L.A. Lakers at the L.A. Sports Arena, not where it is now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've seen some phenomenal games. Tell you what also was a treat, watching Jim Brown with the Cleveland Browns play the Rams. That looked like a tank with a gyroscope. <laughs> that man could run. I've seen him. I remember one game they gave that man a ball on. The Rams, 47-yard line. He ran over eight people and drugged two more in the end zone with him. Wow. Damn. He's one big brother. Yeah. Will Chamberlain. I saw some interesting games where Will Chamberlain was in there and Elgin Baylor was in there. Then he got his knee bad, but he's a good player. And that's the thing with Elgin. He never won a championship. That's probably why people don't really think about him. Like when he was with the Lakers, he never won, right? 
Mm-hmm. But they play some good basketball consistent. Hmm. Well, they're going down memory lane. There's a lot of stuff going on. Who do you think? Uh, they were smart. Like one mm-hmm. of UCLA's undefeated teams, the center, starting center for that, was Fred Slaughter. Mm-hmm. And guess what Fred wound up doing? What? He was the dean of students at UCLA Law School. Really? Wow. Okay. Now, you know, there's some smart people, smart people with a lot of athletic talent. Couldn't beat that. <laughs> they weren't the biggest guys in the world except for Fred. Fred was like six, seven, and 290-some pounds. Wow. Uh, Green was seven two, and he grew up to that. By the way, mm-hmm. the reason you don't see him in athletics, he's a scholar. He writes these learned books. Mm-hmm. He's a historian. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting book called Band of Brothers about the 761st Armored Regiment. Uh, mm. That's where they came up with that Black Panther emblem. They were called Patton's Panthers. Mm-hmm. It was an independent armored uh, brigade. And what happens is that they wind up in continuous combat for longer than any other outfit in the European theater. They didn't give those brothers any time off for you know, back to Paris for rest and recreation. They just stayed on the front line. So they called them Patton's Panthers because they usually were the spearheads. So they came up with that emblem that the deacons for Louds County Deacons for Defense and Justice came up with, that the Panther Party came up with. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's some history. That's good. No, but I like I would, I would think about, I will talk to you, Judge, you, your wealth of information. And it's just like a sad thing about it, a lot of our people are not aware of a lot of this information. It's not being, I mean, it's readily accessible, but it's not knowing how to look for it and how to access it. And, like, doing us a disservice not knowing a lot of this information. And I guess making it, you know, available to the young people. Well, see, here's the other thing, too. We are victims of some interesting stuff about the media. Mm-hmm. In the intervening 50 years since a lot of this stuff was happening, most of the people who were really doing it were doing it in a situation where other than H. Rab Brown, Oakley Carmichael, and so forth, were doing what they did in a limelight because they were touring all over the country. Mm-hmm. Most of these guys may have been getting around or not, but they were doing quietly what the people that got the press were doing. But you see, in the intervening 50 years, they didn't get covered. Who got covered were these pretending Negroes that pimped the revolutionary efforts of others. And they came in there and they knew how to play the system and they would get recognized and they were safe to deal with because they could deal with white folk. They weren't like these dangerous militants. But you see, white people at one time liked dangerous militants. They would have these Hollywood parties and they would invite uh, BSU students, uh, black 
Panthers, and they would invite Brown Berets for the Chicanos and SDS, white radicals, and all this stuff so these rich folk could be titillated. Oh, my God. I met two SDS types and two Panthers. Oh, my God. And five people in BSUs at this party. Mm. Party to party, free wine, good stuff, you know, fine looking women wearing micro mini dresses and glad to be with you. Mm-hmm. Didn't have any panties on and would throw down in a minute. Mm. Interesting. Wow. So, sexual revolution and titillation and excitement, we met some. Militant minorities. <laughs> but, Judge, do you have any um, closing words or thoughts for this segment? Very enlightening yeah. and informing. Stop having beliefs and change them to opinions that are well grounded on facts, detailed information, and observations of the effectiveness of the idea in the real world. Stop hating somebody just because you think you ought to. Pay attention to what they are doing and start thinking about coalitions. And remember, a lot of the rhetoric you're going for was to deal with what once was an extreme situation for black folk that now is no longer the case. So a little moderation won't hurt. You don't have to be limited to moderation. But sometimes... It won't hurt you to check that out. So if you have to move beyond it, you can do that too. Try to get your man training because it's not what you think from what I've been looking at. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Brother Judge Joe Brown. It will also be found on Twitter. Follow him on Twitter at Judge Joe Brown TV. You actually, yeah. That's me. Because I would tell people, like, you want to find a judge, go online and go friend him on Twitter or follow him on Twitter, and you actually do respond to people. Yeah, and that would surprise a lot of people. I'm just an elder trying to spread a few words. I, I'm not always somebody got on me. Why can you, why do you talk down to people? I don't try to talk down to people. But when I'm chewing somebody's ass for being wrong, sagging and bad, <laughs> actually, I'm not going to be mad. That's not my job. That's mama's job. That's crept into the lexicon. No, we don't do that. Women did that nice mother. Uh, daddies, drill instructors, and coaches jumped ass when it was deserved. You know what I'm saying? I hear you, Judge. So I am intolerant of males who don't want to be men. That's yes, well, you know, well, we. The struggle continues. Yeah, yeah. The struggle continues. Thank you so much, Judge. The words, the great discussion. We love you madly. Keep on producing and pushing. Yeah, there you go, young brother. You keep doing it too. You're making a name for yourself. Yeah, I'll prove this. Right <laughs> God bless. All right.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.